All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you guys this morning at Redemption Church. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going to happen this morning um, before we get started. As most of you guys know, um, Tommy Mangione and Ben Ritchie just spent a little bit of time in Uganda. And so this morning, um, we're just going to take um, our time during the service this morning just to sort of talk through um, that relationship that's developed with a couple of people, a couple of churches, a couple of organizations in Uganda, um, and talk through their experience on the trip and sort of where God has us um, moving as a church with the relationship of, um, of a few different, few different people, a few different churches, a few different places um, in Uganda. So to begin with, um, I want to read a passage from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, and if you'll just listen along with me, um, and this is just a reminder for us of what heaven will one day be like, and it says this, after this I looked, behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. With a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So as we get started this morning, let's pray. God, we thank you for this quick reminder that you um, are gathering a whole world of people to yourself. God, that you have people um, all over the world in all places following you, worshiping you. And God, you've given us an opportunity in Uganda connect, to connect with just a few, uh, with just a few others. God, who worship you, who follow you, and who desire for your gospel to spread for disciples to be made and for your name to be great. And so, God, as we talk a little bit this morning about um, how that relationship developed and what happened on the recent trip and where, where you would have us go in our relationship in a foreign, with people in a foreign land, God, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds to draw us to yourself. We pray that, you would, we, pray that we would hear from you. God, we pray that we would hear exactly what it is that you want us to hear. And God, not only that, we pray that you would move our hearts to action so that the gospel would spread, so that your name would be great. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, um, this first question, Tommy, a couple of years ago, you established a relationship with some folks in Uganda, and specifically Pastor James, that we've heard a lot about over the last few years. Um, so tell me a little bit about how we first uh, came to develop a relationship with Pastor James uh, in Uganda. All right. Is this on? Yep. So, yes. Firstly, I'd like to thank everybody for all of your support and the things that we were able to do and bless the people out there with. And also, it was awesome out there as we're talking and praying out there, knowing that you guys were praying for us. And know that out there they're praying for us right now, too. So it's just a really cool thing. But to Reggie's question... So it was probably about four years ago we were going through Porterbrook here. I don't know if you were familiar or not familiar with Porterbrook. Kind of a in-church seminary. Um, and the focus of that was to not separate you from the church and go learn about 
theology, but to learn theology and then put it to application right away in the church setting. So one of the units in that was called Global Missions, and it was just a challenge for the project of that is how can you get your church more focused on global missions? And so through some awesome connections and a lot of prayer, uh, I was able to hook up with Pastor James and uh, had a great project, if you will. To, so I think I got a good grade on that one. I don't know if we got graded, but um, we had that. But the point was of Porterbrook is to apply it. So immediately in my heart, I was like, well, the project isn't done. I need to get out there. And so by God's grace and um, were we still the well at that time? The well at that time, now Redemption, um, funded me to be able to go out there and meet Pastor James and spend a week with him and, and Albert, and uh, we'll talk more about them later, but uh, really with the desire of how can we assist them in furthering the gospel out in Uganda. And through all of that and the time that I spent there, it became really clear to me that the uh, the clinic that we are supporting was where we would start that relationship. So that's kind of the background um, of where we came from and why the clinic is such a, a focus for us. So that was that trip was about three years ago. And since then, we've had a off and on relationship trying to support that clinic. Right. So the clinic that just so everybody is aware of the clinic that um, Tommy's talking about is a medical clinic in uh, Kabasara. Did I say that right? Okay. Good. Um, in Kabasara, and they'll talk more about that medical clinic in a little bit as well. Um, but over the past few years, we did have the opportunity where we continued to sort of support the efforts of Pastor James at the clinic in Kabasara and uh, specifically um, what they do there. We had the opportunity to to send some money and to support some staff um, working in that clinic and um, do some things like that. Um, But over the course of the past three years, I guess um, our relationship with Pastor James and um, with with his clinic um, just sort of began to wane a little bit, and it was difficult to keep that communication together. Um, It was difficult to send money just because of um, the differences um, in the way things work. Uh, Tommy was deployed for a little while to Afghanistan. Um, and so our relationship with Uganda just sort of, um, it, or with Pastor James and the folks in Uganda, just sort of waned a little bit. But over the last uh, several months, um, we've had the opportunity to sort of develop that relationship again, which led to us uh, once again taking a trip back over here, or led to Tommy and Ben taking a trip back to Uganda in February. And so I guess, um, Tommy and Ben, if you both could could speak to this, but Tommy, first, um, you know, why did we decide to go back and and what did you hope for um, in in reestablishing this relationship and once again taking a trip to to Uganda? Yeah, so firstly, by far, just the need out there, and that never left my heart. I've been praying, thinking about our friends out there in Uganda and the need, and... um, saving my and my wife both of us have been putting money away for this trip to hopefully happen again one day we didn't know when it would be or if it could ever happen again but we never stopped thinking and praying about Uganda and uh, our desire was really to go back because just the need is so great so there was a real desire to see what the static of the clinic was status not static the status of the clinic was and uh, just see if there had been any movement over the last three years, we wanted to know how my friends were doing, how Pastor James was doing, how Albert was doing, Monica the nurse, and 
all the teachers that we got to meet at the vocational clinic, see how they're doing, and just go there to just encourage them and let them know that we hadn't forgotten about them, that even though things had waned and we hadn't been as in contact as we should. And, and as we were reestablishing this and talking to Pastor James, he apologized immensely as well for on his end. He could have kept better contact as well. So um, it was mutual, and we mo- both wanted to move ahead with the relationship and to see how we could further it and, and uh, assist what's going on out there in Uganda. So, Ben, before I direct that question to you, Tommy, if you can do this for us just for the sake of clarity, um, what exactly goes on at that clinic? And can you describe a little bit more about, I guess, the needs that we've known about for a while and that maybe still be present at that clinic in Kabasar? Yeah, definitely. So it was established um, because there's no no clinic within at least nine miles of these villages where we are. There's no vehicles, um, and the road was terrible out there. So it took us, if it was a nine-mile road, it took us about an hour and a half the first time we went out to just get to it. And we had a vehicle. Uh, so you can imagine if a woman, and, and it was built on Pastor James' vision of he had to bring this woman out of the village who was pregnant and they had complications uh, during delivery. And by God's grace, the baby was saved and the woman was saved. But it was just such a traumatic event and unnecessary if there was something out there that way that could assist them. But it wasn't there. And so that's been Pastor James' vision to get that out there to that community that's growing like crazy. When Ben and I went back, there's a brand new road that goes out to it. Um, And there was a ton of kids there. There were a ton of moms. When we went there, there was a um, uh, get ready to have a baby and take care of your young baby clinic going on. I don't know how to call that on the medical background. (laughs) Whatever you call that. Um, so if you saw some of the pictures, moms who were pregnant and moms that were just pregnant but not anymore, um, dealing with those kids and helping them get their immunizations and stuff like that. So we had, there was a, a um, oh, what is it called? The, what was Jen? She was midwife. Yeah, midwife. That's the word. I'm really not good at this. I need my wife. She's a nurse. She was a midwife. We sent the two medical experts. <laughs> right. Yeah. To the clinic. Hopefully some of you can fill in. Yeah, people who have babies there. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a midwife, and she comes out about once a week, uh, one week a month, and uh, they really want to have, they need uh, a constant presence of the midwife out there, but they just can't afford it. And half the time, the issue with what goes on out there is people will come and try to get services, and even if they can identify what's going on, they don't have the meds to assist them and to take care of them. So that's a huge need out there, just stocking the cabinets. And also there's only two rooms, one of them which Monica lives in. So the other room is like, well, well, the welcome is like a just shanty roof that they just get to sit under outside and where they go and get... Um, with the midwife go through what's going on with them and get checked up. That's just a one room indoors where we'd have all the cabinets they would have all the meds and there's no real air conditioning or anything like that. So the needs are great and mainly though it was based off of the midwife um, getting a place out there for pregnant moms and babies and then moving on there's a greater need for the the entire community and all medical, every medical aspect just because there's nothing out there. So the basis of our relationship that Tommy 
uh, had spoken to Pastor James in the clinic in Kavasara was the fact that there was huge medical needs there, especially as it relates to childbirth and, and some um, other issues like that. And that's sort of the history of our relationship with Pastor James and uh, the clinic in Uganda. But being going back to the question a second ago, you know, Tommy stated why he went, why he wanted to go back. But um, w- what did you hope to accomplish in going back or, or going with Tommy this time to Uganda? Well, I originally started talking to Tommy because Tommy was back around and ready to get things going back in Uganda again, which is exciting. And uh, some of us were kind of like, yeah, but you know, we're not really talking much and the communication's kind of breaking down and we're not able to get money to him. And uh, so I just was kind of coming along with Tommy and trying to hear more about it because honestly I was in the dark a little bit. So uh, trying to learn more about it, try to figure out if... Uh, so, yeah, basically my, my role at the beginning was just to help us establish a better relationship with some folks over there. Maybe somebody who was from America would be over there. That way we think a lot alike and we could just communicate better. Uh, so that was my role at first, and uh, my plan was to plan it and send somebody else with Tommy because I didn't really care to go. Uh, planes, that's not cool. I don't like planes. And uh, anyways, uh, but as I started planning it, uh, you know, we got I got uh, contact with an Acts 29 church plant in Kampala, Uganda. So I started talking to them, kind of hoping that somebody there could host us that, you know, might be able to give us some direction. We, we ended up planning a trip with them. God made me go, so that's that was good. I was excited once I felt like I really should go. So, but then I guess the goal just in me going with Tommy was to uh, not just go and, and help at the clinic, or not just go and you know help in Kampala or wherever, which we want to do those things. Um, but number one, to because we know at Redemption Church that we ought to be doing something, that we ought to be reaching out beyond the walls of our church, out out beyond the boundaries of our city, uh, and so we want to do that. Uh, but to try to establish something a little more, you know, just try to find something that's gonna that's gonna stick around, whether me or Tommy left, or if you know we all died in a plane accident, plane crash one day or something, just to be morbid, you know. Um, but anyways, yeah, to establish that, and then uh, and then also as I was getting ready to go, uh, what really started uh, getting me more excited was that, or as I thought about why we should go. I started thinking about what it would mean for, for us to go and come back, right? And so I really started wanting to find a contact and somebody who would, who would help us. You know, you always hear if you go on a mission trip that you're going to get more out of it than you put into it. But a lot of times that's just, it's very unintentional. It happens. But I wanted somebody to, that would help us be very intentional about that because I realized that I knew that when I went, my perspective would change and I'd come back looking at things different. That's everybody's story, whoever goes overseas and does missions, right? Uh, so I wanted somebody who would be very intentional about sending us back to uh, to Augusta to be on a mission. And so that's why I went. That's, that was the whole point, was to establish those contacts and find somebody who would kind of share the same vision for our trips. And all that. Okay, Tommy, first I'll ask you this question, then I'll ask Ben. But this is going to be difficult for you, but in three or four minutes, tell us about your experience on this trip. It was great. Wow. Okay. Would you like to? Would you like to say anything else? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so awesome. So it's hadn't seen Pastor James or Albert or any of those guys for three years, and got back to see them, and it was just like brothers from another mother, just hugging each other and loving each other, praying together. And if you get to ever meet Albert, you'll pray a lot. Albert's a rad dude, and he like 
we'll go on trips to somewhere and we'll stop and we'll try to get out and Albert will stop us all from getting out and start praying for us, thanking God that we got to where we got to. And really, it's legitimate and you've gone to, you get to experience the roads out there. It's, uh, it's an experience. But yeah, so that was awesome. I love that. And getting to see the kids out at the clinic again, of course, that's just the tug at your heartstrings like no other. And you just want to just give everything you have to them because... They really have nothing, and, and you see the rags that they're wearing, and we were able to give some money to the nurses and gave a T-shirt to two kids, and they just freaked out. It was like the greatest thing that ever happened. Um, just a T-shirt. So that was awesome. Um, but much to my surprise, when we got there, the, the Acts 29 contact was just huge for me, and uh, meeting Dan and Rosalie and Kostya and B-dubs, that's one of the Ugandan dudes we can't say his name so his name's B-dubs um, meeting those people and and we'll talk about it later but just immediately it was as, as if Redemption Church was there it was just different people and they accepted us in right away we were speaking the same language we just had an awesome love for Jesus that was totally shared by everyone and it was just an, a great great experience and um, as awesome as my first trip was this was even that much better because of that connection and to have people that had been there for six years and could really understand the culture there but understand my American mindset as well and uh, help us to interpret what was going on around us so Ben I would ask the same question to you in you know, just a few minutes tell, tell me about your experience on this trip and if you could dive into a little bit more about the Acts 29 church and the contact that we made in Kampala yeah, well, my experience was a whirlwind. I, mean, I think that's the best word I've come up with for it. It just seemed like it, it happened really quick. Uh, we, we flew out of here, you know, stayed in Amsterdam for 22 hours, then flew to Uganda, uh, got there in the middle of the night, and got to go you know, drive to Kampala in the middle of the night with like a million people on the streets who don't know how to drive. And so, I mean, it was just shocking, immediately shocking. Uh, we were playing chicken with like, dump trucks. It was incredible. So, you know, yeah, get, experiencing the traffic, experiencing a ton of, we traveled almost every day. We would travel for hours somewhere. If it was down that dirt road for 90 miles, it took us four hours, you know. So we just traveled every day to go to the different villages and to the different, to the clinic and to a school that we went to and then back to Kampala and all that. And it just, yeah, it was a whirlwind. It was just so much to, to experience. It wasn't a bad thing. It was amazing what I met just encountered totally different culture, met a ton of people, got connected to a lot of different ministries, just bumped into people that were doing new ministries. I ran into a friend who's serving in South Sudan, and he happened to be in Uganda. We got to have lunch. So it was just a whirlwind of a ton of stuff going on. Uh, yeah, as far as Acts 29 thing goes, that's the, uh, the church in Kampala who they picked us up from the airport and played chicken with us, got us to our, our guest house, um, dropped us off, came and got us the next day we went to their church and uh well they have two campuses now and then we went and visited so they have one campus i'll just i'll say this all right so dan that's the pastor moved to kampala to start a church he started it in what what is called the wabigalo slum it's it's a neighborhood but it's exactly what you think of when i say slum um so he and his family moved into the slum in this little house and were there to plant a church and they built relationships for a few years and they opened the doors and they 
started, I guess, small group, if you will, and then uh, they this church, and they got like a, a building in the middle of the slum that over the years they've been able to fix up a little bit, and it's become a really neat place right there in the neighborhood. And then recently they also decided to plant another church, which they've planted just a mile down the road or so, really, in another neighborhood, neighborhood that he compared to like what would be the hill in most cities, the hill in our city. Uh, Tank Hill Road, and it's called Muyanga. Uh, the name, yeah, Muyanga. So that's Sojourn Muyanga, and uh, it's mostly most of the folks there were international folks who were there for missions or, uh, or maybe just worked there. But there's also locals. It was the most diverse church service I've ever been in. It was really neat. So we went to church there, went and experienced what's going on in Wabigala, just to meet some of the guys. Um, we'll probably get into a little bit more about what they're doing in a little bit, but that's kind of a, a picture of what the, the, tur- the church looks like. So it's one church in two locations. Dan's not preaching at both churches. He's raised up one of the neighbor, one of the kids from the neighborhood who is now in the seminary, and he's preaching at one of the locations, which is pretty awesome, especially if you knew the whole backstory. It's pretty amazing. So, so one of the things, Ben, that you told me about the church in Wabigala was that um, about uh, 80 to 90% of the people who attend that church are new believers? Right. Yeah, they, like I said, they just moved into the neighborhood and started building relationships. And it wasn't like they got all the Christians in Kampala together and they started their little eight-person Bible study. And like, we're going to play the church. No, they like just moved in. He went down to the, the taxi hangout bar in the slum and started meeting people. He met the kids in the neighborhood and they just started reaching out. And today, that looks like 80 to 90% of the congregation, new believers, preaching, you know, they they show up every morning to fight in the sanctuary. <laughs> they got like a little fight club going on, and they sweep the floors, and they're they're there anytime the doors are open. And they're serving. It's amazing. That's awesome. So just moving on from that, then. So since you told us a little bit about um, your overall experience, Tommy, can you sort of dive in and tell us what your single most defining experience was during your time in in Kampala and Kabasara? Uh, yeah, that's. And as Ben was saying, how Dan wants to be intentional sending us back, that was one of his questions too. And it's a really tough one um, to process. But thinking about it and, and everything that we experienced, and I don't know, this was this would probably be on par with 20 other things that happened. But one thing that really stuck out to me was um, this, what Ben kind of alluded to, this kickboxing slash CrossFit thing that they have going on there. And uh, along with being a pastor. If Dan wasn't a pastor, he'd be a race car driver or a kickboxer. And he does kickbox, like he actually does kickboxing matches. I don't know if it's out there or not, or if he comes back to the States and fights, but um, he's a real kickboxer. So we went out to the villages, we came back, and, and immediately when, when we got there, there was a connection between me and Dan with, with this CrossFit thing, and I, I know there's a lot of baggage that come with the CrossFit, and a lot of people don't like it, but... Um, I won't be annoying and tell you how fast I did whatever workout that I did. Um, but I do like it, and it helps me. And it helps Dan as well. So immediately we started paleo jokes. If you know what paleo is, it's an inner circle. And uh, when he would drink a Coke, I'd tell him that's not paleo, and he'd get back at me with something else. Um, but we had a great time just making that connection. So he invited me on the Thursday that we were leaving that morning to come to their class, the kickboxing class, it would be an hour of kickboxing and then an hour of CrossFit type stuff, and he let me uh, create the workout. So we did that, and I got to go there and meet the guys, and so I did the beginning with it with them when we are just doing the lines and doing stuff, and then they did this thing called machine gun, and it didn't sound good, so I'm like, I'm 
I'm stepping out, Dan. I don't want to do machine gun. And they were, no kidding, no headgear, sparring. Like, so you'd sit there, and however many guys were there, you'd get a minute and a half to fight one guy. You'd get a, like, 10-second break. And then the next guy would come, and you'd fight him. And then they just rotate. So I was very glad not to be part of that, that part of the, the workout. Um, but what was cool about it to me is that was them and Dan being intentional about we got all these tough guys in this slum. We got these guys that are just out there fighting and doing dumb stuff. How can we channel that into a, a productive thing, firstly, and then a way to invite them into our community? And that's what he did. And so Isaac was this monster guy. And the scariest thing that happened to me on the trip was after we did all the working out, we're cleaning up the gloves and doing everything. Um, and I didn't do the machine gun. He looked at me he's like, tell me. I'm like, suddenly, and he's like, I wanted you. I didn't want to, but we're good. <laughs> but he's like a legit boxer. He, he tagged this dude named Franco, and uh, I was very glad that I wasn't part of that once I saw it. Um, and after to know, to know that he wanted me. I didn't want it. So we... Uh, but that guy, Isaac, he actually works for Dan and provides security for their little compound. If you don't know, if you've never been to... I assume it's all over Africa, but at least in Uganda... If you have anything that's worth stealing, you need a compound, you need a gate, you need to have glass shards on your walls so people don't jump over, and if you can afford it, a security guard. So they they are really employing Isaac. He's one of the guys there. Franco was this great dude. He'd only been going there for a month, but man, he had so much joy and um, just vigor, and he loved Jesus. When we went to the Bible study later that night, he was there. Um, so these guys had been just introduced to Christianity for a month, but... It was the fighting that got him there. And so it's just, it, for me, it was just, that was the most impactful thing. So that there was this connection that Dan, by the grace of God and his background and fighting, um, was able to make with that neighborhood to bring in kids that there's no way they would ever go to church. Uh, but they would come to a fighting thing. And so he was able to bring them in, and they became part of the community. And like Ben said, those are the guys sweeping up. Those are the guys mopping the church before the services. These guys just... They got a taste for it and loved it. One other little quick thing on the end. Dan was also able to, from the state side, there's guys out here that aren't very churchy. They love Jesus, but church isn't, I don't know, not their flavor. And one of these guys' names was Brandon. And uh, he was just this MMA beast that was actually a MMA fighter. And through all the connections, they were able to bring him out. And he did like a one-week course for all the guys out there. Um, and my buddy, his uh, name is... Uh, Freaking Johnson. He uh, told me, he's like, Brandon, this is no joke. I'm like, what? He's like, Brandon. I'm like, I don't know, Brandon. I think they think we knew everybody from the States, but I didn't know this guy. Um, but he said, Brandon's no joke. Because we were having fun, we're laughing. I was like, yeah, this is fun. And we're just making each other laugh, doing stupid stuff. And he's like, Brandon's no joke. And I'm like, Brandon. So I got the dirty from Dan. What? Who is this Brandon guy? He's just this monster guy that really doesn't joke. And he was, like, screaming at them doing MMA stuff, and they would try to have fun with him, and he would not have fun. He was on point. But the point is, that guy got to come over and see what Sojourn is doing, be part of their ministry. And that just wasn't something that he was normally comfortable with, but he could teach them MMA. So just another way that, like, for us, they're doing stuff for churches out here with their ministry out there, and I thought that was really cool. And Ben, I would direct the same question to you. Tell us about your single most defining moment or moments on the on the trip. Yeah, I have 
I have, I have two. But uh, so the first one was uh, we had just gotten there. We went to church on Sunday, like I said, and we went down to Wabi Gala. They were practicing for an Easter skit at Wabi Gala at that point. And so after that was done, we just kind of loaded up in the car. We're going to go to lunch, and this is our becomes our first tour of Wabi Gala. And so Dan just drove us through the slum, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't impactful because of the slum, or because you know normally you just see oh man there's you know poor people and there's bad stuff going on here. It wasn't it wasn't that. Dan has a video on Vimeo I think where you can watch it. It's a walk through Wabi Gala, and we're walking through you know the the dirt roads through the neighborhood, and along every dirt road is these ditches. Okay. And uh, the ditches are there because in Uganda it's a dry season, raining season. When it rains, it rains, and it needs drainage. There's lots of hills. So this is to drain all the water out. But they're filthy. Right? They're full of trash and waste and, and all that. So, um, But in the video at the end of the thing, you see uh, a little girl bending down in the, the ditch and picking up some fruit and eating it. And it was, that's really gross, right? I didn't see anything like that. Uh, that's part of it though. We took this tour and he's telling me as we go through, telling us about these ditches that are all through the neighborhood and when they got there, how caked and, and high they had gotten full of waste and, and trash and uh, how they weren't even really doing any good now in the rainy season. So the, all the, the roads and the houses would just flood and like the people that even at their church would just be sleeping in pools of water in their homes because these things were disgusting. So um, Another church, Vintage Church, uh, if you know who that is in North Carolina, they partner with them and they go a lot. And so one of the things that they've done with Sojourn, and Sojourn's done it by themselves too, is when they bring money, they bring money to throw into the, the neighborhood, you know, just to help them serve the neighborhood. And so Sojourn, Wabi Gallo, because Munyango wasn't around yet, over the last probably three, four, five years, something like that, has cleaned out every ditch in the neighborhood. Like gone in there with shovels and a mask and some rubber boots, and they've just dug in. They brought extra shovels. And he said people will come out and help. You know, they, people from the neighborhood come out. They grab a shovel. They help. They may not even grab a shovel. You know, I'm talking about some really filthy stuff that we've done. Okay, and it's like that's the real mess. You know, we, you know, we here talk about getting messy with each other and serving our neighbors, but it rarely really happens. And uh, but, you know, doing that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just did to the mic. But anyway, but doing that kind of stuff. Is, uh, it's really physically messy, and it really speaks to the neighborhood. He said that uh, they've you know, polled people in the neighborhood a few times about what's, what's the best thing about having sojourn in the neighborhood. I don't know how they went about doing that. Okay, I, don't know, I don't know if it was somebody else who did it or whatever, but many of them have said, you know, you guys came up the neighborhood and it's been a big blessing, or you know, some of the other things that they did. So anyways, that was the one thing that... Just how they just dove in to serve the community in ways they saw that needed to be served, and then kind of let them partner with them, let them belong with them, let them serve with, alongside them, and then deliver Jesus. You know, through it, it's pretty awesome. Um, secondly, Sunday night after all that, we went to Dan's home for dinner. We had like a cookout. I think there's a picture of it up there somewhere. It's not a big deal. It's just people cooking. It looks like America. But uh, anyways, so we. <laughs> So we go, we go over to his house, and uh, Rosalie, who's one of the people on staff there, came over, and she brought a couple of little girls from the neighborhood, and we didn't know their story yet at all. Um, but uh, So Dan's talking to a couple of the girls. I was just, it was just me and Dan outside. We're talking about church or whatever. And uh, a couple of the girls came over, and he you know, tells them he loves them and 
you know, just messes with them a little bit. And uh, anyways, then he just kind of opened up and said, you know, you wouldn't believe what she looked like three years ago when I first met her. And uh, he, he told me about you know, a little girl with no clothes, super sick, hungry, uh, living in a very abusive environment, uh, a mom who is drunk all the time, dad's not around, mom has lots of boyfriends who come along, come around, if the mom's not there, then, you know, and so just a very abusive uh, environment, very uh, traumatic, I guess, and so, like, when she first came around, Dan said that he couldn't even talk to her, you know, she wouldn't, she was very skittish, because um, he was a man, and, uh, you know, it took him a while to understand what was going on, but anyways, at this point, Rosalie has taken in several of these girls in the same situation. Um, they live with her in her little home in the slum. And, uh, you know, they kind of look at Dan as their dad, uh, as a father. He's the only male that they've ever known that was a- that loved them without any other, you know, motive, which wouldn't be love anyways, but has shown any affection towards them with any- without a different motive, but just to love them like Christ loves them. And, uh, and then he told me that, you know, there's pretty much nobody at the church who didn't have that same story. And there's pretty much nobody in that neighborhood who doesn't have that same story, girl or boy. And that was on Sunday, and like we just got there. And so that just changed the way I saw everybody for the rest of the week, you know, is to realize everybody has these horrible stories, you know, stories that I can't talk about even right now because he went a lot deeper than that. Stories that I wouldn't even begin to understand, and I, sometimes we think that we have a bad, right? But these people have come to know Jesus. They've come to know people who love them, like Jesus loved them, who've dived into the mess, who have uh, gotten their hands dirty, who have brought them into their home, you know, and, and paid for their education or fed them, uh, and, and just persisted to love uh, on these little girls and boys. And, uh, and now they know Jesus. And now they're serving. And some of them, are, like I said, being raised up to preach or to teach or to serve in some way at the church. And they're doing it with other people. They're diving in also. So. Tommy, I saw uh, on Facebook when you guys got back to town and uh, you're wearing a shirt this morning um, that says it, but the Sojourn tagline or, or something that um, is big at Sojourn Church there in Kampala is the slogan, One Tribe, One Family, One Language. And uh, can you tell me more about why that makes sense in their environment? Yeah, for sure. So personally, when I got there, the one language was huge, so not just English, but the gospel. So we got there, and we started talking to Dan, started talking to Rosalie, started talking to Kostya, B-dubs, everybody that was there. They spoke the same gospel that we did, and it was so awesome and so refreshing. Like You walked in there, and like I said, it was like we had Redemption Church. There was another campus almost of Redemption. They were so right on par with our heart here as an A29 church. It was just beautiful. So um, immediately, I felt like if I needed to give a sermon on Sunday, I could because they speak the same language. It was so awesome, and the gospel was so clearly taught there, and all the guys were getting it too, which is the most encouraging part. So I thought that was huge for me personally. For them, um, what really stuck out to me is we got to go to, uh, after me and Ben and Pastor James and Albert, had been out on the road and out in the bush, if you will, for the last couple of days. And we got back in, and uh, we were going to go to service on Wednesday night. They were doing a Lent um, thing on a Wednesday night, so they were going to speak on the cross. And this was B-dubs. He got to speak, and he made it clear that he's not a pastor. Uh, 
Pastor James called him a pastor, and he's like, I'm not a pastor. So he wanted to let everybody know he's not a pastor. But he did get, he preached all the time out there. And he, uh, we got there, and when we walked in that night, we invited Pastor James and Albert. I didn't know. They're Anglican guys, if you didn't know. So Pastor James is an Anglican priest. Albert's raised in that tradition um, from a different part of the country, so a different tribe. Um, and they were very excited to come to the service Wednesday night, which was cool to me. I was like, wow, all right, let's do this. Let's see what happens. These guys are going to hear the gospel. Um, and I know from spending time with them that these dudes definitely love Jesus. Um, I don't know the Anglican tradition. I don't know Anglican theology per se, but I know they love Jesus. And that was clear to me, especially after this Wednesday night. So we got to go there. People are mopping up. Pastor James immediately just goes, grabs hoses, and starts filling up water buckets and helping them mop up and everything. And he's in nice clothes for there. Um, but he didn't care. This guy likes to get his hands dirty. So Pastor James right away did that. We got to go meet with Dan before the service. And we're just sitting there, and Dan's kind of uh, just throwing out some things, and we're talking, and both Pastor James and Albert are looking through the little handouts that they had for the church, what the church was all about and stuff like that. So I didn't think anything of it. We go out, we start singing, and singing some of the songs that we sang this morning already. And it was, both Ben and I didn't say anything at the time, but when we were reflecting on it, it got really emotional for both of us that night. Uh, I was here, Pastor James was here, Albert was there, Ben was right in front of them, and we were all just singing our hearts out to Jesus. And, And it was so awesome. And both of us said, you know, we had to hold back the tears. It was great. Yeah, I don't, I don't cry. Tommy did. He was bawling. Like a little baby. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. It's me. I'm not scared. Okay. It was. It was really emotional and really cool. Just after going out and, man, we, there's nothing out in where we were. Um, and to come back and to just kind of that be over and that experience together and then to sing to Jesus and know that that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing all of this. Oh, man. It was powerful. So then B-Dubs invites us up afterwards to just say a few words to the congregation, introduce us that we're there from um, out of the country, and Pastor James and Albert were there from uh, where they were. And we go up and we say our piece, and Albert gets up there and starts talking, and he says the, the thing that stuck out to him the most is one tribe, one family, one language. And he went on to talk about that. And so it really started clicking home for me as we were going around we saw two tribal kings, I mean, you call them palaces, but homes. Um, but they have those still. There are tribal kings out there in Uganda. We saw two of them. There's, I think they said something like 70 tribes in Uganda. Um, we saw those. When you're in Kampala, Luganda is the, the language they speak. When you're in where we were, Chibaye, Kibale, I don't know how to say it. Um, when we're Pastor out there, James had to speak like five languages to be able to right. take us around. Yeah, it's not just dialects, it's languages. But out there, it's a totally different language, different tribe. We came back, and Albert got that. It it clicked with him. This is truly, in Christ, with the message of the gospel, we are one tribe and one family and one language. And, man, again, I I just had one tear. That's how I went into But one tear ran down my face. Um, It was so sweet and so awesome. Um, And, that yeah, that is, like, we don't... That just sounds goofy to us. One tribe, one family, one language. Whatever. Good good slogan. But for there, it really meant something. And for these Anglican dudes that had never been to an experience like this of hearing the gospel and seeing people loving on each other and having hot, sweet tea afterwards together, which is another 
awesome experience. Um, they got it. They saw that we are one tribe, one family, one language. Okay, so then um, let me turn it a little bit here and say um, the concept of one tribe, one family, one language. Um, and I, I have a two, two-fold question here for you. Number one, do you think that has any, any application here for us at Redemption? Um, number one. And number two, um, where do you see that tagline, that motto? Where do you see that correlating with Scripture? Is there any scriptural basis for it? And, and, um, and where do you see that? And how do you see that playing out here at Redemption? Uh, yeah, I do think that it has a lot to do with you. Or it has implications for us, too. I think the language is a little different. We don't understand tribes as much. I mean, I've seen churches here try to use the language tribes. And when I worked with Campus Crusade, we used the language tribes. Uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to us. Um, but, you know, so the tribe thing is one thing. Uh, one family, we get kind of get that. Right? We're different families, one language. Most of us speak English. So that doesn't necessarily seem to be a thing for us. But I do think it has implications for us. I think that we are still very different people from di- very different places. Um, probably in this room, especially at Redemption Church, we have a very transient group of people who come from all over the country, if not the world. Uh, we all live in, even even Augusta is what Augusta is. We, we live in different parts of the city and live totally different lives. I mean, my, my life downtown looks a lot different than Reggie's in Grovetown. Um, you know, so, I mean, we all live different lives. And um, the, the come from different places or whatever, but what draws us together is the gospel, right? Is that Jesus made a way for us to know our Father. Um, as far as scripture, yeah, as immediately when I saw their slogan or their tagline or whatever you call it, ours being gospel community mission, right? Um, I went to the same place I go to when I hear gospel community mission, and that's a uh, turn there. It's First Peter uh, two nine, and I, I know I've personally read it before. And I've uh, preached a couple times, and it's been we, we've used it a lot. But in First Peter two nine, it says this: uh, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." And so when I read that, when I think of one tribe, one family, one language, when I think of gospel community mission, I go back to the same thing. Our one language is the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ made a way from us, for us. He's called us each out of, his, out of darkness and into his marvelous light, making a way for each of us to be in right relationship with our Father, which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, makes us one family, makes us uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So the gospel is our language. It calls us to community. What for is to go out on mission, right? And so the language that we speak is a, is a missional uh, language that says, Jesus made a way for me and he made a way for you, and he's bringing us all into the same thing. And uh, that sets us to go out. And so, as I, like we, Tommy's mentioned several times, it, it almost seemed like a redemption church over there, I mean, in, in different ways. But they had the same message that we had. Um, Jesus made a way for us that he calls us together and uh, together, together anyways, he calls us together uh, so that together we can proclaim uh, the gospel to, to a whole world that doesn't know him. They're doing it there we want to do it here uh, we're doing it together there <laughs> we'll help fund them and they'll help send us back
so we're, we're in this, you know, we're kind of in it together. Jesus made a way uh, for each one of us, not just in this room, but he's brought us to be brothers and sisters with the hundred tribes that are in Uganda also. Awesome. So um, moving on from there, Tommy and then Ben, I'll just, Ben, if you'll just jump in right after Tommy's done, but Tommy, w- what do you see as next for you? Um, as it relates to um, the relationship that you developed with Pastor James and now um, um, Sojourn Church in Kampala. What's next? What do you see as next? And Ben, when Tommy's done with that, if you'll dive into where do you see redemption going in the next steps as we continue to develop relationship with both uh, Pastor James and the clinic in Kabasara and now Sojourn Church in, in Kampala. Yeah, so for me personally, this is just... My tugs in my heartstrings. I love it. Like, and for me, coming back after that, and especially seeing the Acts 29 guys and, and seeing Pastor James, they're just—we talk about living sacrificially, and that's all they're doing. Like, they've given up everything to go live in a third-world country. Uh, Pastor James had the opportunity to not come back to Uganda after his studies, but he did, um, and they've chosen to be there, and they feel very called by God to be there very empowered and very joyful in their mission and so I bring that back with me here and and one of the things that just after being with them and, and, and being part of that family and part of that those people living actually on mission I gotta have that here I, there's, I just can't go back to um, watching TV all night and whatever we have movie nights at our family you know we could still do stuff like that but for the most part that's that's gotta go. There's just so much need, so much, um, so many things that aren't glorifying God in our world that that we can speak into and we can be part of. Um, that there's just no way to be idle anymore for me. And so how that looks over there is yes, getting people over here, the people in front of me, um, to catch a vision for it, to get over there and to see what's going on out there, that they could come back with the same inspiration and the same desire for Jesus to be glorified more than anything. And the Acts 29 connection that we have, I think, is a beautiful way of doing that. As far as the clinic, and there's just still some huge needs, but a great vision. We had an awesome meeting before we left of 10 years down the road, what would it look like? If everything came together, what would it look like? And it's just an awesome picture. Um, and the center of it is a sanctuary in the middle of that uh, clinic compound um, that those people would know why this clinic is there. It's because of Jesus. And the reason that these Majungu are out there, the white people, we're not out there just to be, whatever, token white people. We're out there because Jesus called us there. And Jesus has a purpose out there. And we want to see Jesus glorified out there. Um, so getting people back home, we just have so much. And we spend, and I'm the most guilty, so I'm not calling anybody out. But we're so intent on our comfort and our ease here in America and that's where most of our money goes and uh, there's just such a need out there and those people are living it and the the people that we'd be serving out there they have nothing they literally have nothing and when we got to go around and hand what was the equivalent of 20 something dollars to the vocational teachers out at the the vocational school that's out there you should have seen their reactions it was like Christmas morning and they were five-year-old kids and you just gave them like a Nintendo or something. They went crazy. And they were so excited when other people got it. So we'd give it to one guy and all the teachers over there would be like, 
they're getting so excited for him and seeing him getting 20 bucks. It just went crazy. So the need is great. Our just, we're so blessed over here, and, and you got to experience over there to, to know where I'm coming from, and, and uh, I want that for all of us. Um, but to just start thinking that way and start financially for me, what does that look like in, in me and, and my wife, Karen? How do we start thinking that way and moving away from comfort and more to where Christ is and where he's moving in this world? And for us, it's Uganda. So getting that clinic in 10 years to where it, we want it to be and we'll have more meetings and we can share that with you guys at some point but that's where I see it alright and so what's next for the church I think it goes right on top of what he was just saying uh, one of the things that we did before we left was try to make a plan with both of the main things that we'll be involved with one is the clinic in Kavasara and I don't know if we really stress enough how far out that place is I know you said like 9 miles on bumpy roads but it's on top of a mountain and then, like, there's a couple villages, I think. I mean, it's basically just some mud huts along the side of the dirt road uh, at the bottom of the mountain, right, on both sides for a couple miles. And uh, women are carrying buckets of water on their head and bananas and, you know, and all this, and they have to walk a long way for that stuff. And then they have to take their kids and they walk up to the top of this hill to go to the clinic. It's out there. It is nothing. There's no power. There's no water. There's... That was the one place I went that didn't have cell phone service, which was weird. Because uh, almost the whole place has great cell phone service. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's nothing out there. And so it is, a, it is greatly needed. Uh, there's, these people are having babies like crazy. <laughs> and that place is becoming very populated, but it's still just as underdeveloped. So uh, it serves a great thing. So with the, with the clinic, one th- we made kind of a list of things that we'd like to do. One... There is a well on the property. It's been fixed before, but it's broken. We want to fix that well. They can fix it. They don't need us to come and dig a hole and fix the well for them. They're all capable. But they need the funds to be able to do that. Uh, So we can... I'm looking into that as far as exactly how much it costs. I think we probably have enough already raised to handle it once we figure it out. But that is the first priority is water. The next priority is power. They need solar panels. They have solar panels, but they're broken. And their solar panels get two lights in the whole place and, you know they have two lights in the clinic mind you the nurse and her three kids live in the clinic which is like the whole clinic is probably the size of like my dining room and living room right and so she lives in one side and then the clinic is on the other side so uh, it has two lights but those lights don't work because the solar panels are broken and they need lights when we were there there's no light to give shots to babies and immunizations which they get for free from the government so that's good, but that's pretty much all they can provide is whatever's free. So while we were there, they were giving the shots outside on the... There was a picture earlier where they're, like, out on the patio, and I think there's, like, a baby being held up by an arm or something. Uh, but they're just out there on, like, the dirt patio. On the other side of that is, like, some soccer goals, and there was, like, 100 kids playing... Probably not 100, I'm exaggerating. Uh, there was a lot of kids playing soccer right there and kicking the soccer ball into the back of the nurse giving immunizations, right? It was really scary for me. I didn't, I didn't hang around her at all. I don't want to be around that. So uh, anyways, so power, so they can do things inside, so that maybe they can put a ceiling fan in and keep the drugs at a, a better temperature so that they'll be effective. Uh, one other thing was like a fence. We need to put a fence around the property. When we pulled up to the clinic, there was a herd of like yaks coming through the, the clinic property like, like while they're giving the shots. 
It was insane. I still <laughs> wanted to do the Jim Carrey yak. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they need a fence around the property to keep the wildlife off and, and to keep, uh, like, kind of regulation on that well so it doesn't keep getting busted. Um, without that well, a lot of those people are walking, I think he said, three or four miles for water, something like that. So when that well is functioning, even those people at the bottom of the hill can come up and get water. So that provides a big need. In the future there, there's a lot of other little things along the way. But in the future, it would be good to have another building built. That's something we don't need to do. I don't think that we need... That's one thing that's really eye-opening for me is... We, I think we a lot of times say, well, we could do a medical team. We could do a construction team. We'll just go over there and do the things that these people are completely incapable of doing. Well, that's not the case. They can, they can build all kinds of stuff. They're building tons of stuff out of sticks. I don't even understand it. There's, like, scaffolding made of branches all over the place. It's weird. But they can build the thing. They just need the money to build it, right? So over time, the vision would be to get another building built with some more rooms. They'd like to provide more services, have, like, a full-time midwife, a nurse, a doctor, uh, somebody who can, like, take care of other things outside of babies and... What is that? What are we talking about? Prenatal and labor and delivery? Is that pretty much what they do? And then well, like, and the, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a doctor. So... They do, uh, and then they do shots for the babies. That's about it. So they want to be able to treat more than that, and, man, they need it, you know. There's, I think tuberculosis is a big thing. Malaria is a big thing. People die of diarrhea all the time. I mean, these are things that we don't, we just need some Pepto, you know. That's not a big deal. So, uh, anyway, they re- that's, that's kind of the vision for there. I'm sorry that was long-winded, but that's kind of what needs to happen at the clinic. The other thing is that at Sojourn in Kampala, they don't need us either. Nobody needs us. That's, that's the big thing. They don't need us. But there are some things that we can do. Our money, our little bit of money at Redemption Church goes a long way over there. And so at Sojourn, if we can come, give them some money and we can go over there with them, we can just dump into the neighborhood in Wabi Gala and do the things that they've already done and some other things just to serve the community. And we'll be helping them share the gospel in Kampala. But also, both these things are going to help send us back on mission for Augusta. So... Um, that's kind of the, just that's kind of what what's needed, and I I would say that uh, for us, like I've already said, we need we need to be on fire here in Augusta. We need to be like we need to be sold out like these guys. I mean, everybody's just all in, you know. Like we're gonna reach this neighborhood, let's reach it. Like we're moving into a building on Broad Street. We need to be all in as a church on Broad Street. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus down there. There's a lot of business owners. There's organizations everywhere. There's It's a very, very busy place during the week. And uh, there's a lot of people who don't know the gospel. And so, you know, it's more than just doing a first Friday thing. Or like, those are all these, uh, anything that we do, that's good. I'm not saying that that's bad. But uh, we, we need to be fired up. And I think it's a perspective thing. I think we're comfortable, and I get that. Um, that's what I want out of us going in the future. Now, so this is what I would ask is... Uh, as far as what's next for Redemption Church, I would just ask you, number one, to act, just to think about what would happen if uh, if your MC, the missional communities, you know, could collect money together and send send one person from each missional community to go to Uganda in August. We want to tri- we want to do a trip in August. Uh, what would it look like if if we could each send a person there who would then come back, you know, fired up and, and just infuse a little bit of uh, passion in our groups. Uh, what would it look like for us as a church to be able to collect some money and send it uh, to the clinic and have water delivered there, have patients prayed with 
through all the you know different things that we are doing. That's one of the things that we're not you mentioned like chaplain or whatever. Uh, so they want to deliver the gospel through these things. It's not just a humanitarian effort, right? That would be useless. Um, we want to deliver eternal life. I love that on the on the well. There's like a sign. That I, I'm not going to try to quote it, but basically, if you drink this, you'll get thirsty again. But we we can offer you the the, the you've read it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's not in the Bible, but it's good. So, um, anyways, but that you know that they're offering the they're offering Jesus who lasts forever. Um, what would it look like if not just collecting money, but what would it look like if we came back and uh, you know we're all in on Broad Street? We built relationships with business owners or other organizations or the people you work with, and we offered and we made a way for them to serve with us. What if? New Moon could sell Uganda coffee or something and, and donate. Or what if people you work with could serve with us? Or people in your neighborhood could go to Uganda with you, even before they believe in Jesus, like just to go help people. My thought is, and what kind of excites me about it, is maybe in our going to Uganda and helping a little bit there, we're making a way to share the gospel with people here who really need it. You know, whether that's somebody gets to serve and go with, or we come back and we're, they want to hear about it, and so we get to tell them. Um, what would it look like, you know, if we could use this to share the gospel halfway around the world so that we would come back sharing the gospel with the people on Broad Street and beyond? Obviously, in your neighborhoods and in your missional communities and, and so forth and so on. So that's kind of what's next, is we want to do... We do want to do a trip. We want to call you guys to uh, to send somebody. We want you to go so that you'll come back with it, you know, being sent. I think it's a great leadership training place, a great a great disciple training place. If you know. Right, so as we come to a point of close, um, I think, um, and I think what Ben is getting at and what Tommy has spoken to as well is that you know, there's a call on us as redemption, as missional communities, as followers of Christ to be praying, to be giving, and to look at going. And there's application for that um, here in Augusta, right where we are. And there's application for that in in Uganda. Um, but just for the sake of time, Ben, in just a couple of minutes, um, do you have anything to add to that? The idea of praying and giving and going. Yeah. Um, I'll try to make it really quick. What do we need from you to make that happen, I guess, is the question. Yeah. What do we need uh, from Redemption Church, from the people out there to uh, send the gospel to Uganda and then send it back here to Augusta also? Uh, number one, we need you to pray. We've been emphasizing prayer for several months now. A lot of you have gone through the Circle Maker and we're just doing that 21-day challenge thing. Maybe you're done with that. I hope that you're continuing to challenge yourself to pray for things uh, continuously. Uh, but we need you to pray. We need you to pray hard. We need you to pray for Sojourn and for the pastor there. That's Dan. Pray for Rosalie. You're not going to remember all this, so make notes because I'm talking fast. Pray for Sojourn. Pray for Dan, Rosalie, that whole team that's leading uh, the church in, in Kampala. Pray for those little girls and boys uh, in the conditions that I told you about earlier. Pray for the people in the neighborhood of Bobby Gala uh, and in Nyanga. Um, not just the filth and the, the abuse physically and emotionally, but... Um, and pray for their soul. Pray that Jesus would rescue them. Uh, pray for the clinic. Pray that God would uh, bring partners along with us, that we would be able to do great things there. Pray for the moms and the dads and the kids out there. I mean, conditions are rough. It's amazing how they make it. We saw two preemie twins 
that were like two months old and they're just the tiniest little things, but they're making it. They live in a mud hut and they're making it. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so pray for the moms and the dads and the kids out there. Pray for Pastor James. He's the one who is kind of spearheading that project and his son Albert who is an administrator at another health clinic and is kind of helping develop the, the, uh, the vision there, I think. Uh, so just pray for the gospel to go forward there. Pray for Redemption Church. Uh, pray for our church. Pray for Broad Street. Pray for our city. Pray for Augusta, Grovetown, South Augusta. Pray for the whole CSRA. And keep praying for 100 people to come into a crisis here. That's a big deal. I mean, and just because we're getting late in the year, you know, it seems like it's going fast. Jesus could save 100 people in a moment. He can wait until December 31st. Is there 31 days in December? Okay. So he can wait till then, and he can save 100 people in a day. Um, just keep praying for it. Don't stop. Pray for 100 people to come to know Christ, at least through Redemption Church. We need to have a passion and want to see that happen, to see people come to know him. Um, pray that barriers to the gospel would be bridged and that people would, uh, they would have ears to hear the good news that we're trying to deliver. And then pray for each other. Pray for the gospel. To uh, Pray that you would be reminded of the gospel every day, that you would be drawn into community, and that you would be sent out on a mission. Uh, as far as giving, I want to just say, you know, first and foremost, give here. Like, tithe. Just that. Just do that. It's important. Not just to make the mission go forward at redemption. It's important for you. Uh, it's, it's an act of trust. It's an act of saying, I... I you're my father and you know what's best for me. And I, I can trust you. I know that you're good. And I'm telling you, man, that is a that's a discipline that just will just it'll grow you so much if you're not tied in. Tied. Just tell him, I'll trust you for this long. I'll try it for three months, six months. Put something on it. You test him on it. He's good. He's a good God and he didn't tell you to do something that was bad for you. Uh, so give here, tithe. Uh, help with the building fund if you're not already. Because that building is not just a cool home for us. It's, uh, it's a mission field. It's a place to bridge barriers to the gospel in downtown. And so give there. That's, that's where we can all throw in together and make the biggest splash, the most ripples for right now. Um, not only your money, give your time. I know I'm taking a long time. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't give me that word. Uh, give your time. Give your energy. Yesterday we had a work day and we painted. There was like a dozen people. It was awesome. We got a lot done. We have those coming up every Saturday. So if you could sign up for something like that. I'm not just trying to put a thing on it and try to get you to go do that particular thing, but that's just one opportunity. Give your time. Give your energy. Uh, get messy with one another. If somebody needs a place, give them a place. If somebody needs food, give them food. Like just be a little bit risky, right, with one another and with those who don't know uh, Christ. Um, yeah, so give give of your time, your talents, give your home. Uh, show up and help set up so that Reggie doesn't have to do it on his own. Uh, you know, when we get down there, hold the doors open for people, invite people in off the street. Uh, just and then, you know, we're gonna need you to give to Uganda. You know, that's all that other stuff is just part of being here. We're gonna need you to give. You know, maybe as MCs this week, you decide to talk about that. What does it look like for your mission community to give? We could fund staff. We can we can fix the well. We can fix some stuff. We can start making some headway on this uh, on these uh, plans. Uh, but in August we want to go, and I I think that's super important that we send a team. So maybe your MC could send somebody. Find out who you're sending and uh, and send them. Um, 
Oh man, look what happened. Okay. So, uh, yeah, do that. Give. Be rich in good works. Be generous. And then lastly is the go. So, if, and we, we probably just sound like a couple missionaries showing you a slideshow and telling you all about our trip. I hope that's not the case. Uh, but we want you to go. It was, it was really good for us. It was really quick for us. I want to go back. I can't go back in August. I'm going to have a tiny baby. But, uh, yeah, I want to go back and spend some time in one place. That would be amazing. Uh, but I encourage you to go. I think you'll go and you'll get sent back. And things, I mean, don't be scared for things that are be- different or what you feel will be uncomfortable. It'll be better. You'll, you'll enjoy it. So, so just decide to go. Okay. Done. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to pray. Um, to close us before we, t- we move into a time of response. But um, I would ask you to just be considering exactly what Ben just challenged us to do, how to pray, how to give, um, and how to go. But let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had to be present this morning. Thank you that we've been able to be here um, together with your people uh, to hear just a little bit about uh, what's going on in the far corners of the world. And so, God, I pray that... Um, pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds even now as we think about responding as to how you would have us respond, how you would have us pray, how you would have us give, and how you would have us go. And God, I pray that you would call us to um, to some radical obedience to, to the call that you've placed on our life. And uh, God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.